0: Hello. Quote, what makes John Lecrae's work timeless and most important, critical for its time, is that he eschewed the espionage genre conventions of inscrutable Asians, wily Slavs and intractable enemies of Western liberalism for a view of the world that granted equality to all. Lecrae's characters range from con men to secretaries to school teachers to secret agents to bartenders. They were everyone in the world and no one. All brought together to paint a richly detailed and human picture of the Cold War and its brutal consequences. This passage is from a recent piece written by my co host Emma in Jacobin Magazine, eulogizing John Le Corre, who sadly passed away Saturday, December 12th at the age of 89. Our thoughts are with John's family and friends. Now, on to the show.
1: Mais, c'est tellement nouvelle, cette Il faut que je lis toutes les paroles parce qu'elle vient de la fille il y a trois jours. Elle a seulement trois jours. Et, et c'est pour ça que je les paroles ici. Mais je vous promets que depuis aujourd'hui, il va être très populaire en France. Vous voyez. Je pense.
2: La mer Qu'on voit
1: danser
0: Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Tinker Tailor Podcast Spy. I'm going to get that name wrong for sure in the future. My name is Tyler and I am joined by my co-host Emma. Hi. And Max. Hello. And if you have not guessed by now, this is a podcast that is entirely devoted to the works of author John Le carre We're going to be talking about all uh, John Carré related things, his books and their adaptations, and we might touch on some real world spy stuff too for a change of pace every now and then but before we actually dig in to the first half of our very first book which is going to be uh the great the spy who came in from the cold uh we're going to quickly talk about john lecrae and where we started reading him how much we've read why we love it etc so emma why don't you kick us off
1: Yeah, so I started reading John Le Carre when I was in grad school. Um, I did a master's in Russian studies. And in the second half of the degree, I got very interested in intelligence history and espionage. And so I actually took a class on Cold War espionage. And uh, one of our assignments was a book review. And the spy who came in from the cold sounded like the most interesting one. So I picked that. Um, I quickly fell in love with John Le Carre. And um, just got absolutely obsessed with his works um, I haven't finished all of them I think I'm about halfway through his uh collected works um I'm not sure what's the total number of books that he's written there's a hell of yeah, a lot I've read 10 or 11 at this point and I'm yeah. I've I've been sort of parceling them out because I don't want to run through them too quickly
2: <laughs> yeah do the um, same thing
0: yeah. yeah I'm the exact same actually yeah
1: like, I'm, a, I'm afraid to leave that world too quickly. And so I, I'll, I'll rotate them through things I'm reading. And you know, my biggest
0: um, fear is that, I've, I, that we've, like, read the best ones. And we probably have. But that, like, the rest of them that we read are going to be, like, disappointing. But I guess we'll find out.
1: Yeah, we're going to find out on the way. Um, <laughs> so that's where I found out about John Le Carrier. and ever, ever since, like, the more I've read about him, the more I've read from him. Uh, the more impressed I was with his uh, sort of keen insight and uh, just uh, his prose really spoke to me too. There's something very brittle and restrained about it that uh, sort of hides this great emotion behind it.
0: That's a great point. And for everyone who doesn't know, Emma is like, Emma's the most prolific reader that I know. So uh, like <laughs> for sure she says something about someone's writing style, I believe it because uh, I don't think me and Max read like, a third of the books that she reads. No, uh, Max. Not, what about you? Uh, I mean, that's for sure. I don't read
3: nearly <laughs> I a third. Can't of read. What so Emma reads. Yes, I'm. I can barely read. Period. So, <laughs> uh, um, I, which speaking of which, yeah, I kind of came
1: illustrated edition.
3: <laughs> exactly. Uh, I kind. Well, funnily enough, to to this, I kind of came to John le Carre the opposite way in that in law school, I went to see the adaptation of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy um, uh, with my wife. And I loved it so much that I was like, I got to read the books to uh, see like what what the source was. Um, and for for two ways, I, I mean, I started with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, just because I'd seen the movie. And one, I was very happy that you know the book was phenomenal as well but to it still I still love the movie it wasn't one of those things where I you know read the book and hated the movie or yeah. hate what lo- love you know love the movie and hated the book although I know we can get into this when we actually <laughs> do Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy there are people who hate the 2011 adaptation which um which don't hold me. it against us cuz I think all yeah. three of us love love that adaptation I love uh, it But we all, I mean, then I just started kind of diving in, read, I think I've read all of the Smiley books at this point and a fair number of the, uh, you know, kind of standalone um, books um, and just kind of fell in love. And I mean, I think one particular thing about all the books I've read is that how much I've benefited from rereads as well is just like, because like on a lot of the books the first read is just like i mean the plots can be so intricate and just you know the the just figuring out what's happening that then going back and being able like oh my god he set up this from literally like the first page that i was just too dumb to pick up on but (laughs) he did it in an
0: incredible way yeah it's kind of crazy like i guess um he, he wasn't like a trained writer as far as I know, right? Like he, he didn't have like a background in writing. No, I, don't I mean,
3: he was like an Oxbridge. I, I can't right. remember
0: if it was Oxford or Cambridge, but, you
3: know, he, he had like, you know, kind of that classic, you know, education. British upper class. Yeah. I mean, he was an upper class, but kind of British education where they had to write a lot, but he wasn't like yeah. a novel. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have a degree in creative writing or,
0: or fiction or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, like I, I, so I um, I'm, I don't know, I guess I'm slightly different too. I, I actually don't, I actually don't know why I, I read Tinker Taylor first. It, it could have been like literally as simple as one of those things where um, you're like walking through a bookstore and like a cover or a title catches your eye. It could have been something like as simple as that. Uh, I, I truly don't remember, but Tinker Taylor was the first book that I read. Obviously loved it. So I read the Carla trilogy and then started just like going through all the work. So I, I did like um, all the Smiley books. And then I've kind of worked my way through a few of the non-Smiley books, which like, sup- I don't know, maybe not surprisingly, but you kind of think of like uh, George Smiley and John Lecrae is like so linked that you're kind of like, oh, well, his books without Smiley are probably going to be a disappointment. But at least from what I've read, that hasn't been the case. No, um, I mean, there, there are some right. non-smiley books that, like, I just love that are some
3: of my favorite. Yeah. It is it is also kind of funny that some of the quote-unquote smiley books, he, like, he's barely in. Um, You know, he, yeah. he just, oh, like, exactly. shows up as
0: very minor character. It's like a marketing thing, right? Like, they just would say, like, another George smiley book.
1: What were we calling it the other day? They're in the John LeCari cinematic universe. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. JLCCU.
1: JLCCU. Um, JLCCU. Smiley naked. Smiley makes an appearance. It's like how um, Robert Downey Jr. signed, you know, like a ten film contract.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it what was- we need. That we actually needed that for the Tinker Taylor like uh, movie to have a sequel. We needed all those guys to all those English old actors to sign a and <laughs> your ten year agreement with Disney.
3: Yeah, the, the end of the Tinker Tailor adaptation and you get past the credits and it's like <laughs> he, 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 here's Carla in
0: the, you know, background. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like George Smiley will return.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it would be it would be the um the interrogation scene with like Smiley and Carla where like uh he's like um you just see the hands like uh thumbing over the lighter so something <laughs> like that. And then it'd be like That'd be a great teaser. Okay. So yeah, so we're all big fans. We've we've all read quite a bit of stuff. I'm probably in the same range as you. I'm like somewhere like over 10 or something. And um I've never I've never reread uh this book, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, which is gonna be our, our first book. And and just so everyone knows, the way we're gonna do this is we're gonna split each book, at least for now, and depending on the length of the book, maybe that'll change, but into two. So this half, we're going to be doing uh, the intro and then chapter one to 12. And then we'll do the remainder of the chapters after. We're going to try to be very diligent about spoilers. So if you haven't read the books, you should be safe to, I mean, it'll spoil things in this first half of the book. But if you're like reading along, you don't have to worry that we're going to spoil the ending or how things wrap up. Um, We'll try and be careful. Sometimes it's hard because it's such like an intricate plot that uh, maybe we'll screw up. But bear with us.
1: Yeah, but we're also mindful that um these books are full of twists in the second half and so yeah. we're cautious about that.
0: Yeah, we want to ser- pre- preserve the fun of the of the twists. But I think honestly in in a weird way, I think um rereading it and then talking about it, I think um it, it's very interesting how like with some foresight and and with um with um like reading more of his books, now reading this again, it's like it, you can see how good of a I don't know, um, writer he is to like plot all this stuff along. And and when you read it the second time and kind of knowing what's happened, it, it it almost seems so obvious. Which I guess maybe that's like the trick of like a great like mystery writer. I don't know. I mean, it's also crazy to me that
3: it's what, 240 pages? Yes. I mean,
0: it's it's so short and tight. There's
3: just yes. you know, there's nothing extraneous really in the Emma, book. you
0: were talking the other day about like um page length creep. Go off, go off. Yeah,
1: go. I think I think a lot of um, mystery novels and thrillers, um, basically a, a lot of genre fiction has a bloat problem these days. I have no idea what the reasons are. I'm not very well acquainted with the ins and outs of publishing. But um, uh, actually my dad and I were complaining about it on the phone <laughs> because <laughs> he was saying, you know, Robert B. Parker, John LeCary, you know, they could wrap up a story in 200, 250 pages. But now you pick yeah. up a mystery or a thriller at the airport and it's like 400 I mean, and I it's think... totally unnecessary unnecessary so many extraneous plots and stuff and you just read it and you're like oh man i wish an editor were here to slice yeah, no this kidding. thing down
3: i mean i think it's just easier for people like oh we'll just pump it out like i don't have to edit myself i'm just gonna pump yeah. out the draft we'll do a few edits and then you know we're not gonna cut it down not to like really i'm, I'm getting paid people, by the word yeah um so, so you know, I, I think it's just easier works. to not like i definitely like you know it's easier to not to like for me yeah. to write longer than it is shorter for sure
1: i think uh Le had some practice with this um because uh as as people will see um this was his third book and the first two um call for the dead and the murder of quality are um uh, more straight up detective novels almost like they yeah. do feature smiley and they do feature feature intelligence, but they what is what's the word? They're tighter. Like they're more taut plots. Yeah,
0: like, yeah, yeah.
3: I mean there's not there really aren't as there's not like the twists you expect to get out of like a Le Carre novel or kind of the
1: Yeah. In most of them, Smiley's nominally retired, you know. Yeah, I mean, that guy quotes yeah. all the time, but yeah, I mean, he's retired. It's
3: like a, he's retired in like half the b- retired, <laughs> yeah. out. like he's, he's never really like a spy for the circus, except for occasionally. Yeah,
2: basically,
1: every George Smiley book has the scene from, well, I guess we'll reference the Avengers again, where like they put in a helicopter and they're like, We need you. <laughs>
0: yeah we need you smiley uh there's a to the top of the circus um yeah it is kind of amazing i, I actually h- highly recommend i i think i don't know if max and emma totally agree with me but i love those first two novels i love them both i i i think they're so um interestingly like really really good tight mysteries and the kind of um intelligence stuff is just kind of the background like that's how the characters know each other and that's kind of how smiley has his detective skills kind of um, but it's kind of a nice change of pace from like a normal de- detective novel where it's just like a private eye or like a police officer or whatever.
1: Yeah. They're What's more it? like moody character studies almost. Yeah. Like you get really yeah. acquainted with Smiley and you start to learn about his early career and his relationship with his wife and um, mm. which we can get into in later episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. So all that um, to
0: say.
1: Well, like uh, Call-, Call for the Dead introduces some characters that um, reoccur in this, this book
0: yeah that's gonna be interesting to go through because uh, those books i read really early on and i don't remember them very well except yeah, for the same fact that i really like them um so those yeah maybe those will be next who knows and if anyone you know shout out in the comments uh, please like and subscribe and uh, <laughs> if you have a book you really want us to do early on let us know Okay, let's get into the book. Um, so the first thing that was in my copy uh, was um, an, an intro that was actually written by John Lecrae himself. And I think my copy was only a few years old, I think. Um, so I think it was a pretty recent uh, intro. And the, the only thing I'll say on that is it's pretty interesting. Like I didn't know much about him. Like You can kind of get a sense of his politics from the books and, and just in terms of how he how he describes things and and um, and what emphasis he puts on different characters and and actions, but I, I didn't really know what his politics would be and and maybe we can get more into his politics mm-hmm. later. But um, I, I was pretty impressed actually at like at the very least how anti-war he was, even to the to the degree of saying being like anti-drone warfare, which um for someone of his age and I was like pretty impressed by. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the intro, so they've done this a lot for the 50th anniversaries or other big anniversaries of John Le Carre's work. And in the intros, they're usually sort of a retrospective from Le Carre talking about uh, where the book's situated into the Cold War context. But there's always a part at the end, at least in the several I've read, where he just starts uh, talking about the Iraq War, which is really cool and you love to see it. Yeah, you love to see it. Because, you know, he says... Um, He calls it the catastrophic illegal war in Iraq, and he says people justify medieval torture techniques as the preferred means of interrogation in the 21st century. And he talks about the use of unmanned drones as a risk-free method of assassinating one's perceived enemies and anybody who has the bad luck to be standing near them. And it's just this really scorching, just acerbic, like, evisceration of what he views as sort of conventional wisdom about... War and I can actually see where likecarry um develops this hatred of drones because like intel like many intelligence operations it's you know mm-hmm. oh we're going to be very careful and there's uh, you know this is a way of mitigating harm by uh engaging in this one you know operation, and then of course there's countless individuals and innocents who are harmed by it
3: yeah but, i mean it's it's similar i mean you you can kind of see a theme and throughout his work and I mean in *Spy came from the cold particularly um about how kind of these intelligence operations that are trying to minimize harm then actually kind of ex- make it worse um you know whether it's you know a, a supposedly communist regime hiring former nazis to run their like intelligence services and um right. things like that um and it's, I, I don't know, my copy of the book actually, it's weird because it's a Kindle copy. So you'd think it'd be up to date, but the, the, the version, the intro, my introduction was from 1989. So, um, oh, interesting. you know, kind of he, it focuses more on kind of the fall of the Berlin Wall, whereas, you know, this is, the book is about kind of the, the occurs around like the, the construction of the Berlin yeah. Wall and him. Uh, so it goes into that. Um, but th- the big thing that, kind of really struck me about the 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 intro in you know this old one is he says he wrote the book in six weeks and it's you know yeah, that's so it's just stupid. such like that I, makes me so angry i can't write <laughs> like I, it i mean it does make me angry. like i can't just like such a short period of time to write yeah. this and i mean I, you know it's edited it's of course yeah, but like yeah just to get the draft out in six weeks. Yeah. Like I can't do anything in six weeks. I think it took us longer to like record this first episode. It took him to write the
2: book.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's pretty incredible. I mean, yeah, like, um, I don't know, just circle back on the comment about the length. Like I, I hadn't read this book in a long time and rereading it. Uh, the thing I was first struck by is when I like bought a, a a copy. Cause I don't even know what I did with my old copy. It was probably the library um was how small it was and then each chapter like it takes like 10 minutes to read each chapter it's incredible um and uh that is such a skill to get the amount of ideas the amount of characters emotion in such a short book and not have it be kind of um like this overly emotional character study where you'd expect those types of things it's still like a thriller in in essence um it's really pretty insane um yeah the one other thing about uh Oh, sorry. Just so one other thing about the intro that I liked was um, he was saying how he was hounded by the press like during when he when the book was coming out, they all were saying like, oh, because he he worked in intelligence during the Cold War. And so it was like um, understanding of this of what actually went on and how things were done, which is why I think his novels like feel so real um but they all thought that this was based on real events and he had to keep saying that it wasn't and in fact he had to actually get his book approved by british intelligence before he could publish it because they had to like cross check and make sure it wasn't actually based on anything real
3: it is still kind of shocking to me that they approved it even yeah because it's like a very scorching it it doesn't look good like to say like Oh, this is our, you know, spy. And this is what he's going to write about. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, even if it's all fictional, it doesn't make them look good. Um, yeah. I guess there was no way, you know, as long as it wasn't disclosing info, they could really block it. But it, it is kind of shocking that it, it was approved. And I mean, he did quit soon after. Um, it's my yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah. He quit soon after the release of this one, because this was the one that really took off and, um, yeah. Yeah. That's what's incredible to me about um, the sort of conversations he describes with other intelligence officers about it is that they all say, you know, oh, it's so un- unrealistic. It feels totally fake to me. And he points out himself that if it had any note of realism to British intelligence, they would never have released it. <laughs> right. But right. then, of course, to the reader and, um, you know, in and- I think just reading it from like a moral and political perspective, <laughs> it just feels so authentic. And it's such a yeah. searing indictment of intelligence at the time.
3: I mean, it's, it's yeah. this is kind of separate, but it, it, I just remember similarly from the, if you, either you watched the Hurt Locker when it came out. Yeah. It was like yeah. a lot of people, a lot of like soldiers and generals in Iraq was like, Oh, that's not how like bomb disposal goes. Like you'd never send them like in one by one. And it was like, well, that's not like, yeah. That wasn't like the point. Like it was the, the message was the issue. Like that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. To, like yeah. the message about what's going on, not the exact like details of oh we're right. not like we wouldn't send in one person at a time or you know <laughs> we wouldn't have Lamas running an agent by himself or something.
0: Right, right, yeah, and and I mean like, but but the skill <laughs> is I think his background. Allows him to create something that is not real but feels real. Yeah, I think like if we were to try and come up with this ourselves, it would just feel goofy. But his <laughs> background allows him to like come up with something that feels realistic, even though it's not true. um And then the the last thing I want to say about the intro was I, I was kind of surprised and and pre- pleasantly surprised. Like there was no there's no cheap shots at like a cheap kind of anti communist thing that you know you could see another author writing genre fiction in the cold war doing where it's like look at the end of the day you know we had to stop the evil reds but you know they're probably he he doesn't he doesn't do that at all and i think that's i think he doesn't need to do that i think he's a smart enough person and a good enough writer that like all the ideas he wants to express which is like both sides are at fault for a lot of this stuff Come out, and he doesn't need to resort to that. Which uh, I think, you know, if you if you look at some of the coverage of his death, <laughs> uh, you can see that a lot of people are quite disappointed by that, right? Um, which is, um, I think, a pretty yeah. yeah there research. was
1: that that op-ed that talked about his anti-Americanism.
0: <laughs> yeah it's like Which,
1: yeah we can get into that when we get to his novels to yeah. deal with america but
3: <laughs> okay okay I mean, um, we in this in the first i mean we're getting the first chapter there's like yeah. barbs at the cia like there's there's uh <laughs> you know it's it's there and it's but it's not he has barbs for everyone it's not like, yeah yeah nobody comes off well <laughs> no and i i, I think like you can see he, and I'll probably hit this in like every episode because it's kind of <laughs> my like theory is that he can see that he could have gone either way. You know, he could have, yeah, he could have gone either side. He could have betrayed, you know, it's about spies, betrayal. Like he could have, in any book, like betrayed his country, not betrayed his country. He didn't. He became a famous author, but I think he sees himself in a lot of characters about like, you know, um, you know, he sees like Carl carl rymek and i'm sorry if i butchered that any german speakers but it's pretty good like you know my wife will probably rip me and my wife for pronouncing that my wife um but <laughs> she uh you know i think he could see himself doing he could have seen himself doing the same thing and this is coming like right off the kim philby and the cambridge yeah, five yeah I mean, he knew been all these people
2: one of them yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, we're going to have really to do an episode on Kim Philby, I think. With
2: all
1: those people, like um, Graham yeah. Greene, yeah. Um, yeah. Kim Philby, just all sorts of people who, if they weren't in intelligence, they were very close to that world.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think, you know, at la- before we get into it too, the, the one other thing that I think is um, kind of romantic about, especially genre fiction from this era, is there's so much more of a tactile um, response and feeling to everything, right? Where, sure. like, it's all you know, dead drops and like real agents out in the field. Whereas now like presumably so much of intelligence is just done via like hacking and, you know, audio spying and things like that, that I think it's, it, it, it a, as far as, as subject for like fiction, it's lost a lot of the, the sexiness that um, this era had. And also like the stakes at the time in the world, like couldn't be higher, right? Like cold war was like uh peak stakes. So um, it, it has this very alluring and dangerous feeling to it the whole way, which is important. Um, okay, so so let's start getting into the actual book here. So we'll kind of go chapter by chapter a little bit, but we'll probably deviate as the conversation goes along. But uh, we'll start off chapter one checkpoint. So basically, this is where we. It's kind of interesting too, and and as we as we get into the second half, we'll see a lot of this. Um, kind of come to fruition but uh there's a lot of mirroring that goes on is all i'll say right now but uh lamas waits for so carl Rymek. Reim- what is it rhyme Reim- rimeck right Rymek yeah, rimeck yeah which is lamas is what like kind of star agent star yeah, it's his, uh star it's agent. the
3: reason he stayed in berlin for however long he has
0: right and and he lamas is basically waiting for carl to cross the border into west germany uh into west berlin rather Um, And basically, a woman crosses the border first, who turns out to be kind of a a lover of Carl's, who turns out he's kind of shared a lot with um, in a way that at least Lamas thinks he shouldn't have done. Um, And then we get this really dramatic scene where Carl is kind of going through the border checks. He gets through and he's on a bicycle. He's crossing the border and then lights turn on and he gets gunned down. And basically the last thing Lamas says is uh, he hoped to God he was dead or that's what he thought. Um, it, yeah.
3: It is kind of crazy to me that, you know, coming and, you know, this is coming around the air, you know, we haven't brought up yet, but James Bond, like how, yeah. how Smiley and John Carré is kind of a, of his conscious rejection of james bond, but you know it's the counterpoint at least mm-hmm. um to james bond whereas james bond is all action and this is like basically the only action in the book is kind of in the first chapter like the yeah. very end of the first chapter and there's basically no quote unquote action in the rest yeah. of the movie yeah there's no, he's like-
2: waiting for
1: a, a guy to drive across the border
3: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he the guy arrives and gets shot and that's it and like the rest yeah. there's like not even like that's the action, and that's not even that much. Like, <laughs> you, there's no repelling off a dam or something, right?
1: It, it, it's very deliberately, uh, an anti Bond thing, and of course, we can get into that once we get to the more smiley focused books. But, uh, in the introduction to my copy, um, John Lacary notes that he was writing for a public hooked on Bond and desperate for the antidote, so oh. he's like looking Damn. for a direct contrast, and of course, you get that in the character of smiley, but you also get in how just The action in these books plays out where there's so much just waiting in the dark and dreary drudgery of just, (laughs) you know, sifting through documents, taking clandestine photographs, um, trying to convince someone to talk to you, that kind of thing.
3: I mean, like a whole big portion of the book is him like literally in like. Being an accountant, yeah, for the, <laughs> yeah. For, for the spies, like that's like yeah, let's yeah. find like if you want to find like the most um, you know counterpoints, like oh, who's who's the account? It's the nerd like writing the books, like like you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly, dispersing money, um, and you know that that's like I I think he even in one of the other things that John LeCarre does that I think is great that you know, even in this kind of mysterious world of spies and everything is he makes things seem familiar to people. Like the, the seat, the, after the checkpoint, you know, Carl gets shot and then you see the scene, the like beginning of the next chapter of Lamas, like dreading going, like he's on the plane and he's in the car, like dreading to <laughs> yeah. go to his boss to get like yeah. basically reamed out. Like he, he like does everything to avoid going to see control. Cause he's like, yeah, terrified that he's going to get yelled at and then you know it kind of goes well like you know it's it, <laughs> well, like oh yeah. <laughs> no you know we know you're tired let's let's figure out something else for you like this isn't your fault
1: yeah should we um carry on to chapter two yeah um so Lamus is uh is it Lamus or Lamas? I'm not sure. I said no, Lamas, but now that you said Lamus,
2: I'm like,
0: sure, Lamas, is it Lamas?
3: like See, this is I mean we're gonna mispronounce every name. I haven't yeah, seen yeah. the movie, so
1: yeah, uh, yeah, I neither have I actually to the Scots. Um <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's this it's this kind of feeling that I think everyone can relate to, even though the circumstances are very extraordinary, where he, he's taking this flight home and he's got this this horrible sense of dread he know he's pretty sure he knows who betrayed Carl um he thinks it's it's Mont and of course we'll, we'll get to who Mont is um but he's basically anticipating getting getting re- reamed out by his boss and um just this sort of feeling of anticipation and also just finality where he he feels that this is it for him as a spy like his network has been rolled up and so we get in we get introduced to um uh, Hans Dieter Munt, who Lamus uh has realized that Munt was the writing on the wall. And so Munt is a um the East German Deputy Director of Operations. Uh he's a, a former former Nazi and from the the Hitler youth. Um he's basically like the second top guy in the ob- I'm gonna butcher this. Abtolung. Abtolung, um, which is the East east german um version of uh the british intelligence agency and so um he had been operating in in england uh he murdered two of his agents and then uh to save his own skin and then fled and um this is this is actually the events in um uh call for the dead where S- smiley actually uh is deeply involved in that and so Lamus is talking about how Mont has basically rolled up his networks and, you know, all of these spies, whether they're railway porters or they're, they're couriers, they're all getting murdered and left for dead in these um, uh, public places. And he knows that this guy is behind it. And uh, so we get this sort of menacing introduction to who Mont is.
0: Yeah, it's such a great, uh, great intro. And again, like so efficient. Like a, a few paragraphs about like what he did, who he is, and you know, you can really easy, easily picture him in your mind where it's like former Hitler youth, but he's you know, has no allegiances. So as soon as um Berlin is like captured and the Nazis are defeated, he just is like, Well, I want to carry on being an evil person, but for whoever is willing to hire me. So he just uh joins. Okay, and and one, one point I wanna make, and this is ultimately I think I've decided this is actually John Lecrae's greatest skill as a writer is he is the best at making names for things every name he uses is so cool but it's cool in a way that is not like james bond cool like flashy it is like the circus abtilon all these very um ordinary sounding words for these very kind of important secretive dubious things and even the naming of his characters like they all feel very uh, perfect for whoever that character is. Sure. And I think his best skill is like creating these names for things that, you know, he knows whatever the real names for these organizations and things are. Yeah. Um, but he picks these really perfect ones that they don't feel overly contrived. They feel real, but they feel like um, a nickname that people working in that organization would create for it. And uh it just makes it feel extra um interesting and, and and have a lot of weight to it.
3: Yeah, I mean he we can get into for I don't want to get into specifics because I'm sure we'll get into other books, but he there are spy terms that people use that he literally created in his books and then spy <laughs> like spies started using that like the yeah. name changed because he was so good Such at like, creating, you know, descriptions he was so good at creating descriptions of different people and uh what was happening
1: so so lamus you know he's he's heading to the cambridge circus and it's changed since he's been away um he meets control who becomes a, somewhat of a pivotal figure in the early smiley books and control is essentially the the leader of uh cambridge cambridge circus uh which is what they call the british intelligence um he wears a cardigans he's uh kind of quiet and cranky um <laughs> Lamus remembers controls wife, a stupid little woman called Mandy, who seemed to think <laughs> her husband was in the coal board.
2: Yeah, control's such a great name too, by Control, the way. Control
1: spends half his conversation with Lamus complaining about uh, the coffee that the new secretary makes <laughs> them, um, and it's just it's it's this very strange, um, almost kind of menacing conversation where Lamus is expecting to you know get fired and sent you know to just often indignity and and instead uh control is like just kind of like oh yeah i guess the the mistress blue carl's cover um i'm wondering if you're burnt out and then he says you know the very pivotal quote um where he says one can't be out in the cold all the time one has to come in from the cold do you see what i mean and i gotta get a tattoo of that
0: honestly it's so good. So, so and, good,
1: and of course, and then Lamus is like, "Okay, man, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you coming <laughs> up with?" And so Control says, "I want you to stay out in the cold a little longer." And here's where he really, to me, I think he introduces sort of the the thesis of John Le Carre's work is um, characters saying you can't be less ruthless in the opposition simply because your government's mm-hmm. policy is benevolent, can you now? And so they're sort yeah. of setting themselves up as separate from the British government. Um, mm-hmm. They view themselves as acting defensively uh, in service of Cold War aims. And they want to carry on a very dangerous operation. Of course, he and he's trying to sort of inveigle in it by promising that this isn't the end of the road for you. Like we find out that Lamus is kind of aging. He wonders if he's getting slow, like that kind of thing. And so control kind of hooks him in by saying, you know, hey, let's let's go after the month because he rolled up your network and he's he's killed so many people. And, you know, I've got an idea for you on how to do this if you want to stay important a little longer. And of course Yeah, and
0: there's this um Interesting parallel that just came to me. Uh, so the movie Sicario, which I really, really love, has a very similar uh, setup where the FBI agent played by um, what's her name, Emily Blunt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, she's working in the trenches of like the drug war uh, in Arizona, and uh, some of her officers get killed in in a, in a drug bus that they're that they're doing, and um, this kind of shadowy intelligence figure. Kind of gets her into her operation by saying, like, you know, we're going after who's really responsible for this. Like, you can keep getting these little um local drug lords and kingpins, but if you want to actually really make a difference, we're gonna do that. And that's how she kind of gets roped in. It's very similar here, where it's like Lamas is like obviously depressed, I think like clinically depressed, um, alcoholic at the end of his ropes and has just been beaten by this like horrible person. It's like, hey. Here's your opportunity. I know you think it's done, and you know you think I'd be mad, but why don't we go after the person who's actually responsible for all this? Cool.
1: Yeah, so then control ends with this, you know, it's very enigmatic to us, but since they speak in this sort of um, half-understood language between each other, um, you can tell that they understand each other perfectly. It's just the reader who is isn't quite in on it, and so, you know, he's saying, Oh, you know, if you meet up with your old friends, I want you to act really pissed off about what's happening. Um, I think you might make a lot of money out of what's about to happen. And <laughs> I want you to go talk to George Smiley. And that's where the classic Le Carre reader is like, oh, shit, things are going to oh, happen.
2: Shit. Smiley's yeah. pop getting involved. Off. Yeah. yeah. Shit's, shit's popping off. Pop off.
0: <laughs> no, I, as soon as I read that uh, that uh, sentence, I immediately like came to our episode document and was like George Smiley reference, alarm, alarm, alarm. Cause that's, you know, <laughs> that's the best thing you can get in, in a yeah, John McRae book.
3: You just, you have a Smiley and it's just like the, me as the sicko guy in the window being like, yes. <laughs> yes, uh, yes.
0: <laughs> and then the true heads, there's also a Peter Gwillem reference yes. in this chapter as well, which like, yeah, the, the Le Carre heads also are like going nuts for that. They're hooting. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing I want to say just uh, about control, like, Control may be my actually my actual favorite character in all of um, the books. Now, we'll get into more <laughs> what is going on with Control later in the book. But um, the way he speaks and he's written is just so perfect. And everything he says is very intoxicating. And when he's talking to Lamas, you just get the sense of calm where it's like, oh, like the this person who is looking after me and responsible for me, he's taking care of me he knows what needs to be done i trust him he's got he's so good at at selling that for control and uh, also if you've seen the movie he's played by john hurt like one of the best actors ever and and that just adds so much to it in rereading it cuz i just have the image of john hurt in my head who's just like <laughs> you know so iconic so it's it's it rocks
1: yeah, it's great because Control puts Lamus at ease by doing this sort of disarming routine where he's fussing over the coffee and he's, you know, he's sort of puttering yeah. around in his cardigan. You know, <laughs> Lamus is he's about to get fired, but he's worrying about like, oh, I wonder if his wife made him that cardigan, and so you, <laughs> you, you feel like Control is. I mean, the fact that he doesn't even go by a name; he goes by Control. Yeah, you get the fact like this, this sort of understanding that control is just he's just a construct he's just he is putting together this facade for agents and he's such a good manipulator that they don't even realize that they're being manipulated by him
0: yeah um so then we kind of get into the next chapter so and it kind of leaves on a bit of a i don't know not a cliffhanger but you don't really know what's going on there um then we get into the next chapter uh called the decline Um, so Lamas kind of goes through a variety of, like, he's working for banking section, which is what we alluded to earlier, which is basically like doing the accounting, um, and sending money around, um, for the circus. Um, he's, uh, you know, doing a lot of boring tasks that for someone with his experience, he shouldn't be happy about. And he really plays that up. He's not happy. Uh, he's upset. And, uh, then he starts really, uh, becoming basically a alcoholic in a very serious way where like he's drunk all the time he's not showing up for work on time um and there's gossip going around the circus that he's like basically not no longer fit for purpose that he's a mess that he needs to you know retire um people are which is exactly what control is kind of wanting him to do right which is to create this um illusion that he is like disgruntled and is like fall falling out of um uh or falling from grace, I guess.
1: Yeah. And then, um, there's these sort of rumors flying around that, um, that Lamas, like they, they sort of put around the word that he's been embezzling money and it's like this sort of, um, what they consider to be a pitiful amount. It's like 400 pounds. And so <laughs> right. they're like, wow, well, you know, he could have, he, he could have done a way better job than this. You know, he's just sloppy <laughs> because he is, uh, he's going to seed basically. And um, it says that his former friends had already learned to keep clear of him. He had become a resentful boar, constantly attacking the service and its administration. <laughs> and then they kind of build up this tension between sort of the new guard that's come in while he was away yep. in, Ber- in Berlin and uh, and the old guard of Lamas and sort of his cohort who um, aren't really these sort of flashy, what he calls cavalry boys.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: And, so- and he actually
0: served in World War II as well. Like he, he was like do you know yeah. fighting and, and serving in intelligence during the war, which like a lot of these new people wouldn't have done. So that's uh kind of creates this tension too.
3: But there's also this tension that I mean, this is where it really comes out of kind of this is a spy book, but it becomes like an office, not like it's just the like <laughs> <Yeah>. guy puttering around <laughs> an office Da-da-da. and he's getting angry Da-da-da. about how Oh, he quit circus after the war before coming back, so his pension's not gonna like come yeah, back yeah, because yeah. there's like this gap in his service where yeah yeah, you yeah. Know, it's all these like trivial office things that I <laughs> you know as like as just you know someone who works in a boring office all day can relate to, and then you look back and you're like, wait, this is a this is a spy novel. This is, this is what's happening, and yeah. you know, Lamas kind of he just he it's probably his best performance of as like a spy in, in the in the whole yeah. novel of just like making everyone believe he's just going to like he's just falling apart. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I think part of what makes it so brilliant is that he is feeling this resentment. He is feeling yeah. like he's pushed out by this new guard. And so control is able to sort of play on that and play on this frustration and say like, okay, play it up and get really like just really into it and keep declining. Yeah. And so it's, it's very easy for him. And so, uh, you know, he ends up leaving the service. He goes through a a few jobs where he tries to sell encyclopedias. He works in a (laughs) industrial adhesive manufacturing uh, plant. Uh, he keeps getting really drunk and loud at pubs. It's told, uh, by people who clean for him. They say he drank like a fish like he doesn't shave on weekends, you know, there's all this gossip about him. And the chapter is written in this very sort of confiding term, tone about uh, how yeah. this is. he's just, you know, this guy is going down the shitter. Like something is very yeah. wrong with him. He's, isn't it very sad and
2: tragic? kind of yeah thing.
0: and it's perfect like you know he's accomplishing what he needs to do but because uh you know that's kind of part of his personality already and he's just kind of playing into it more um it, it works perfectly and, and basically everyone is like fooled so it's no surprise when he finally like gets canned uh from the circus and is now kind of out in the world which kind of brings us to the next chapter which is called liz where uh Lamas gets a job at a library and it's a library I can't remember what it's for it's something specific it's like psychological Yeah, it's
1: psychic research actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's just like it's it's funded with an endowment and so they're able to like provide a job but of course you know the circus is behind it. Um Yeah. Okay. Because he, they, he, 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 Lamus mentions that he, um, he's pretty sure he's seen the guy at the unemployment, the, I think, the
2: yeah, yeah, paper yeah. Pitt, he's Pitt
3: pretty
1: from... sure he saw him in the, yeah, in the Pitt, office.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this is one of those details on a first read. I kind of would have been like, oh, 100%. you know, like, it's just a thing. And then on a second read, like, oh, that was definitely like, he didn't just think he saw him from the circus, like, that, that guy <laughs> was the at the circus during the war. Yeah. Like, that's, that was like there's there's no kind of coincidences here um uh, particularly with that
0: like he was placed at the library very deliberately right and and you start to wonder too how deliberate it was that they even knew who was working at the library that he would be interacting with yeah. and how how deliberate and kind of planned this this whole thing was because so he starts working at the library, and he's, you know, uh uh there's kind of this old old lady that works there who's kind of a bit of a bag and, <laughs> and all over him and and not very fun. But uh his coworker is Liz Gold, um, who he kind of gets uh uh gets taken up with. And um they start having a bit of a relationship. And the really the really like it's actually it's a very sweet part. Like um he he's obviously like quite a bit older than her i think yeah, i mean he's uh, gonna
3: get canceled nowadays yeah like, yeah and he's like
2: 53 <laughs> like yeah
1: um she's very much like oh there's this mysterious older man he's got <laughs> he's got a lot of problems you know she's kind of like i can fix him yeah. <laughs> <And laughs> lamus is like wow there's this young girl paying attention to me and Damn. you know, Liz is really interesting in her own right because you know Definitely. she's a uh, uh, a Jewish woman living in in Britain, which we find out is not an easy thing to be. And then mm-hmm. um, he also finds out that she is a communist, and mm-hmm. uh, so he says, "Oh, Liz, oh no, you're not a bloody communist." <laughs> and she nodded, blushing like a small girl at his laughter, angry and relieved that he didn't care. So yeah. Liz is very much, you know, a card-carrying communist who um, spends her time. Uh, there's a scene where he sort of interrupts her at the library, and she shoves like political pamphlets into her bag. <laughs> so she spends her time, you know, reading Jacobin, and
2: <laughs> she's a DSA,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: so you know, she's a DSA girl.
0: Yeah, she, she's she's DSA girl. Um, it's it's pretty funny too because. Um, You know, I think John Lecrae always emphasizes the characters that are like the true ideologues and the ones who are not. And uh, the kind of interplay between those two types of characters is always really important of like, who's doing this because they truly believe in what they're doing? Who's doing it because it's another job? And they've this is just the type of work that they got into. And so that's why they're doing it. And it's kind of great because you think like if Lamas was one of those true idealists, and he found out that Liz was a communist. He would he would not keep seeing her. He would break up with her, right? Because that is mm-hmm. so antithetical. That his whole life has been working to destroy the communist party, right? Um, uh, or communist expansion, at the very least. Yeah. Um, instead,
1: he's like, "Wow, that's crazy."
0: <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Damn, that's freaking crazy, yo." And uh, they just keep dating, and everything's everything's cool. But obviously, like you know, if you think about the characters we've already talked about, a control and smiling, how smart these people are um you start getting a bit worried uh for liz
2: um yeah
1: especially because um the night that they sleep together and you know become lovers uh he leaves her flat and he's walking down the street and just 20 yards away we hear about um there's a figure of a man in a raincoat short and rather plump and that's where all (laughs) the smiley heads say oh man because that's how george smiley is always described He's always described as short, plump, wearing a raincoat. Um, John
0: Lecrae loves to nag Smiley. That's Smiley nice. is yeah. like, it, it doesn't matter. It's kind of, he's
3: he's this figure who, ne- in my mind, I think it's very intentional, nev- is always like the exact same age, the exact, like, yeah, yeah, out, yeah. Like all the books he's in take place over like a 30, 40 year period. Decades, yeah. Like he's always like just schlumpy late 50s, yeah. early 60s figure. Yeah. Um, but just one thing I wanted to go back to about the library is like the it's very inconsequential, but the librarian's actually one of my favorite characters in this book. She's just like the fu- it's like funny. one of the few kind of very kind of intentionally humorous parts of the book that I find, just of her getting yeah. flustered at Lamas, um, <laughs> you know being you a know, badass referring to her and like getting on the phone and being like oh, bah, 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 what's happening? <laughs>
1: Yeah, he does stuff like he hangs up his overcoat in the wrong spot. He <laughs> her off, and she gets really upset. I mean, he's and, like you know. basically <laughs>
0: trolling her on purpose. Yeah, he's doing alpha moves on her. <laughs> so, she's not ready for it.
1: So we get to the next chapter credit, and um, it's it's from Liz's perspective, and we find out that Lama didn't show up to the library one day, and you know the older woman who works there is really excited, and she's on the phone with her mom talking about how. Oh, guess what? My bad employee dead, and, but Liz is freaking out. So she goes to his flat and gets this guy to break into it because um, she doesn't have a key. And she finds that Lamus is really sick. And here's where I think is one of the most disturbing parts in maybe John LeCarre's entire corpus is Liz goes over uh, to the uh, the chemist. And she buys some calf's foot jelly essence oh my of meat <laughs> and a um, uh, breast of chicken from the jar. And uh, we got to find out what's British going on food, there. Oh, British
0: my food, baby. British food, truly the be best.
3: I mean, that was like, I mean, that was the, it's funny we're recording this. That was the uh, Twitter <laughs> uh, discourse today was about beans on toast. It was just British oh, really? food needs to be, you know, Destroyed. shut down.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. she's like, this guy could be dying and I'm going to nurse him back to health with, she calls it tea. Like, she makes a beef tea in a glass <laughs> with a teaspoon. I'm not sure what's happening there, if she's making, like, beef broth or what. Like, I
0: assume that's the intention, but, like, you know, there's got to be a some, better way. There's
1: something very sick and sinister about this section.
0: <laughs> Liz I, is evil. She's a witch and she's making witches brew. Well, that's she's also, trying to like, poison him.
3: What I, I can never, and I, I don't think there's any way to figure out, I can't tell, like, Is he faking being sick? I don't think so. Did they purposely get, did, did, you know, control get him sick to kind of cement this relationship? It's, it's very obvious and unclear, but there's just, it really feels to me that something else is going on. Cause like all of a sudden he's sick and there's, there's nothing up to that point that showed that like, Oh, he was, you know, in ill health. He's supposed to be like, I mean, he's an alcoholic, but he's like fit and, you know, older, but,
1: it's never clear what exactly Lamus is sick from, whether like I mean, I, I, I don't want to claim that like <laughs> Smiley sent him an anthrax letter yeah, or something. No, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I don't think it's that. No,
1: it's it's never clear what this sort of chapter with this interlude where he's sick and Liz cares for him. Um, like what this actually means. I think it could be just that he's I I I feel like it's almost a sort of mental a breakdown of sorts mm-hmm.
2: um, yeah, that's what a I lot was of times too.
1: depression anxiety sure. other yeah, conditions yeah. can sort of manifest as a as a cold or a fever yeah. and I, no for sure and i wonder if it's just that because we find out that um at the end of the chapter um that lamus goes to the grocer and he asks them for credit and this is something that's probably not understandable to most people <laughs> um yeah. today in 2020 but you know he's basically asking them to put it put it on his account and you know yeah. he'll pay pay it back later and um no he's, deliberately to the, yeah, he's deliberately rude no he's
3: deliberately
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's deliberately rude to the grocer um he starts shouting at him and then the gro- when the grocer tells him to get out of his shop lamus takes a swing at him and beats him um a fractured cheekbone from the first blow and a dislocated jaw from the second. And um, so I think looking back on this, this sort of illness is like he, before he takes the final plunge into his sort of disguise as yeah. this guy who's completely gone to shit. Like he's, I don't know if he's having second thoughts or which would be only natural at this stage.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but, you know, there's clearly something going on there.
3: As you say, it's like, it's the moment where he makes a complete break from his previous life. Like as much as he, yeah. he kind of, you know, you know, it seemed like he wasn't on the best foot with, Mm -hmm. you know, control and home, you know, headquarters when he was in Berlin. Like this is, you know, he's gotten fired and this is like, I'm going to go, I'm going to like attack someone and like publicly, like the complete break and And go to jail. Yeah. And go to jail. And I mean, we'll get to it in a few chapters (laughs) that this is, you know, I think he thinks like, oh, this is as far as it's going to go. And right. we know like it's going to go much further, but when we later, but it's it's like it, it's he has to make this final plunge that must have been incredibly difficult for him.
2: Yeah. yeah, from
1: this point on, he's completely wedded to it because he's now just he's in the press. Um, mm-hmm. So starting in chapter six, you know, um, uh, you know, he's trying to survive in jail. Basically, he hates all of his cellmates; they hate him. Um, he's he gets sort of. Um, beaten up and hazed but he uh manages to uh get that to end by I don't even know how to describe this he's working he's working with a with a hoe in a prison yard and the guy who's beating him up is uh working next to him and he kind of just jabs him with the handle really hard yeah yeah pretends Probably, it was like, an hits accident him in the they, or
0: something yeah
1: yeah they leave him alone after that and that's pretty much yeah. I think that's the only one of the only these are some of the only instances where Lamus actually engages in violence or you know these he where he punches a a random cashier and he um hits a guy in jail with a hoe
3: yeah i mean you get these (laughs) moments with uh lamas where he he you know he's like putting on this act of being totally deceived and drunk and then he does these like incredibly yeah uh intricate or like just like very controlled action that like shows his skills as a spy um and able to like like when and we can we'll talk about it more in the next chapter when he like he picks up on the person following him immediately like like there's or you know he's able to lose if there was a tail we're not sure but he like he's able to like crisscross around london yeah yeah, for hours and lose this tail whereas like he's you know he is actually drinking. Like it's not like he's been yeah. drinking. He's, he's actually getting fucked to up. Yeah, do these things that just—he is—he's like—he is kind of an incredible spy. But you know, to what ends?
1: Yeah, this is where the actual trade craft comes in. Is uh, Lamus uh, when he's released from jail? They give him this parcel with his, you know, his identity and his documents in it, and um, he then he travels across the city like max said and
0: so so hold on i just want to i want to i want to say one thing because this quote like made me laugh but um there's this quote where like the governor of the jail is like determining uh you know uh his sentence and all this kind of stuff and the quote is the governor who was vaguely interested in his case secretly put the whole thing down to the irish blood he swore he could detect (laughs) in the (laughs) laws which is so like that's such a perfect example
1: in english where they're like yeah these, (laughs) these irish are just wilding out
0: yeah like, and it's this blood thing too, you like this weird like antiquated race theory thing where it's like oh i, I can detect a hint of irish blood in you and yeah, like, uh, that's yeah, why you punch
1: you're the cashier you punch that's the that's cashier. totally irish to me <laughs>
0: um and and you know the one thing too about like his drinking it's it goes back to the classic trailer park boys quote which is some guys can drink and drive <laughs> and Lamas can Lamas, some guys can drink liquor. and be a spy yeah they can yeah. drink and spy yeah, yeah. Some guys can do it. And no, he does a of sort of guys.
1: Jim Leahy thing where he's become the liquor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he is one with the liquor. That's very true.
1: Yeah. So so Lamus is, you know, he's walking across the city and he's got these this package and he, he deliberately leaves it on a bench. And this is where he gets approached by um, you know, this this agent, um, this well, this stranger who Lamus confronts for following him. And uh this guy is like he knows Lamus's name, and he claims that he borrowed some money from him and he wants to pay it back. And um, to someone who's totally unfamiliar with espionage, you'd be like, "What? What the hell's happening? Who is this guy? Does Lamus know him?" But um, this is uh, pretty classic. Like, um, there's a this is this is East German intelligence or you know, f- uh, for, foreign intelligence. They're they're courting Lamas, um because you have this high profile guy who. Just kind of welded out, and um, they—they've obviously identified him as an agent of British intelligence, and so they're—they're they're trying to figure out if they can get him to defect. So we have this guy Ash, who's like, "Hey, uh, you know, I think I owe you some money. Let's, <laughs> let's have a lunch." And- Let's talk I mean, about the, some things. And Lamus immediately is like, "Why have you been following me?" It's the
3: most bumbling approach. I mean, it really feels like if if someone came to me and was like, "You need to do spy and like do an approach on a spy right now," it's it feels like what I would do—just completely yeah. nervous and
0: like, you know, pulling at my collar and just uh, I don't I don't know what to do. <laughs> and it's good because because uh, Lamas kind of like picks up on it, and he'll like throw him a curveball. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, good, he had like a secondary story ready."
1: Yeah, he kind of trolls him, and he's like, "No, I don't remember this. Please explain in detail."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: well, Guys, make up this horrible story about it you know a party, and oh my god, everyone was so drunk. You lent me this money. um We went to a, we went to a nightclub. There were all these girls. It was crazy. Um, and then Lamus is like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I totally remember now. So they um they they go to lunch and you know Lamus uh Lamus immediately just continues to bully him because he thinks that this guy is kind of just this weird weakling. Um yeah. there's also some which I think is um kind of draw, drawing Lamus's characters. There's some kind of like veiled um subtext here where um Ash is clearly uh gay and yes, for sure. Lamas yeah. is, lamus refers to him later in the book as a sissy and is you know just yeah. like openly hostile to this guy and so we yeah. get that lamus is you know he's a homophobe he's like this yeah. guy's wild i don't want to deal with him like this is this is i don't like it and um uh you know he's a very flawed guy um <laughs> and
2: yeah that is just very
1: clear to, to just fuck with him um because he just takes this instant dislike to him and um so then he goes to control's house
2: yeah. and
1: um i mean he goes to um
2: smiley's house. smiley's yeah he,
1: yeah, he needs smiley's control at smiley opens the door which is yeah 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 crazy.
0: and so it's funny because smiley's house is kind of like a recurring place also in the book like there's a circus but smiley's house is kind of like a place where a lot of shit happens
3: it also yeah. th- this is just me but i because i'm dumb but he, Liz is in Bayswater, and Smiley lives on Bywater Street. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like always, like where the fuck is he?
1: <laughs> yeah. No, see, I I have this book called um, The Secret World of John Le Carre, and it actually has like some maps and stuff, which Ooh. I find really helpful because if you don't understand London, some of the early parts of the books are very confusing. Oh, for
0: sure. Yeah.
1: Like you're like, why is it such a big deal where Smiley lives? You know. That kind of thing. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's also uh, fucked up because I always think of the circus as like a Hogwarts era, like Hogwarts-esque like building, <laughs> where it's like this big, like triumphant thing. But yeah, it's just a random the, office building. It's just a random office building, yeah. like in the middle of London. So anyway.
1: But yeah, so then Lamas is reporting to him where, you know, he's got uh, re- reach, he's been reached out to um, and uh, Control asks him about Liz and is like, hey, you know, she's a communist, right? She's in, she's in the freaking BSA. She's <laughs> in the
0: party. And- yeah, and yeah, you know that she's online as uh, DSA Girl sixty nine, right? Yeah, she's got and her
3: OnlyFans in twenty twenty.
1: <laughs> and um, uh, so then Lamus is like, "Well, I don't want her brought into this," and, and Control kind of flips out and is like, "You know, why would she be brought into this? What are you implying?"
0: Yeah, yeah, and, yeah.
1: Which you know will be important later. Yeah,
3: I mean, yeah. I think this is the this is the one instance that like Control drops his cover
1: yeah he gets he gets mad and I think it's because it's someone on his level of like understanding yes like, yeah he feels that yeah I think he feels for a second that Lemus catches a glimpse of what's going on in the circus and he just kind of flips out because we've got to remember around this time within a few years um, c- control becomes convinced that um um I'm not sure the exact chronology of this I'd have to look it up right. it's either around this year and the next two years control becomes yep. convinced that there's a mole
0: yep
2: um, right
1: in the circus and so he's you can see he's kind in of in unraveling book, himself kind of flips out about anytime anyone has any sort of knowledge that's outside of his con- his control
3: right. yeah i mean i think i don't know if it was tyler you said this or something i read but this is like this is control at his peak like this is yeah. Yeah. control at the peak of his powers
0: and it all just collapses as you read more john Leclerc. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and there's this interesting thing happening that I think you can pick up on more on the second reading where you kind of get this sense that uh, even though Lam- we're kind of learning about how things are happening and even L- Lamaze's internal monologue, like he's kind of realizing things as we go through the story. But there's kind of this, um, I think, understanding that he has in his subconscious that he almost doesn't want to admit that like all of this uh, stuff that is happening is ultimately going to be worse than it seems. And that he knows that and he's kind of accepted that. And he's kind of got this self-destructive streak in him already. And that this is maybe like, I don't, maybe it's too much to say. It's almost like a a protracted suicide, but that it has that kind of a feeling to it where Mm -hmm. like when you, you kind of realize that he, I think deep down knows more than he's like consciously allowing himself yeah
1: and especially because he makes he makes this very laughable claim for the next few pages where uh lamus asks if smiley is involved you know he's seen a guy who looks like smiley (laughs) um he's told to contact smiley earlier um and he goes well does smiley know like the real reason about this operation the special interest which we'll get to and um and control is like, oh no, Smiley, he's not he's not involved. He doesn't like this operation. He thinks it's distasteful. He's he's like a surgeon who's tired of blood. And but he's yeah. saying this while standing inside Smiley's house.
0: <laughs> and- <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, so- please please ignore the fact that George Smiley's standing ten feet behind us.
3: Smiley may yeah. have moral qualms about things, but not in this way. Like he's not yeah, gonna know
1: Smiley doesn't yeah and i mean we'll get into that when we talk about smiley but yeah. um yeah i think I, I think it's sort of implied that lamus doesn't know smiley very well
2: yeah, um, yeah like I think they work so, yeah. together yep. but they
1: work in different uh departments and uh lamus has been abroad so lamus is like oh, okay you know i'm standing in <laughs> i'm standing in smiley's house and control says smiley isn't involved and i believe him
3: yeah and, and i mean for people who just don't no, like, Smiley has a very fancy house in a very nice yeah. part of London. Um, yeah.
1: He's so he's, to like, London.
3: you know, he's in this kind of complete opposite of what he has been forced into, of, like, these kind of, you know, dirty flats of yeah. the the downtrodden, and now he's, you know, meeting with control in the, the British upper-class environs. Um, it's kind of... Uh, it It's his last kind of taste of English society before what happens next,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, um, because um as we get into the next chapter, um Lamus is basically going totally in with uh, with Ash and his crew. So Lamus and Ash they meet again. Lamus is still maintaining this sort of uh, alcoholic persona um and
0: persona quote unquote yeah
1: persona it's, it's starting to sort of you know how much is he pretending how much is he really just yeah. this man in decline letting himself go and um so ash is like hey i have this friend who can give you work translating or writing stories which is actually a pretty common uh cold war espionage thing is they would be like oh yeah you're a journalist <laughs> um so ash ash invites lamus to stay with him in his flat and um you know this is all going according to plan so Lamus makes a secret phone call to um to uh
0: Mr. Thomas's secretary
1: Yeah cuz Mr. Thomas is that was actually his name that they use in Berlin and um so they go to dinner with Ash's controller Sam Keever Keever is actually a you know European he's not a, a a British guy so they start they start arguing about America <laughs>
0: uh, (laughs) our favorite pastime
1: yeah they have this they have this great quote um Dulles gives some foreign policy with one hand Kennedy takes it away with the other
0: (laughs) just kind of um when I read this book the first time I I didn't have the understanding or knowledge of history that I that I do now I and reading this again and reading that quote is really quite interesting because it I think it situates the time like so so well instantly when you read those names you're like oh damn okay this is when this is happening um and those are two such two uh, very important figures especially in the kind of espionage the history of espionage right
3: yeah i mean dulles kind of created the modern cia um yeah. at least
2: modern Cold War era- era. yeah
3: you know kind of after the bumbling of Bay of Pigs and uh although he, he of course was involved in that but mm-hmm. that and you know there was a lot of kind of bumbling in the Eisenhower era he he he, he created what the CIA was and kind of what Lamas hated about yeah. the CIA
0: all my homies hate the Dulles brothers
1: <laughs> yeah so then um so you know Lamas is like He's playing along with this and they end up going to a, a strip club and because uh, <laughs> that's where, you know, guys do deals, I guess.
2: <laughs> and, uh, Correct.
1: And they he manages to get rid of Ash by being like, you are, you know, you're so bad at this. He's like, membership card has a different because they have a membership card to this yeah. club, which I don't know if that's some sort like of a
0: gentleman's thing. club, but something that doesn't really exist anymore, really.
1: But yeah. Um, well, because I know they have the dinner dinner clubs and stuff like that, but I've never yeah. heard of a card membership to a strip club. <laughs> I mean, this is,
0: have
3: you? It's just like you, a frequent like, flyer uh, card. Did you ever see? Did you ever watch Mad Men? There's like things like this in Mad Men 2 where they go to these like secret clubs and have the yeah, password. Yeah. Um, it's like, are they strip clubs? Are they brothels? Are they?
2: Yeah, you yeah know, you're not really clubs? sure what's
1: going on. Yeah, and um, and so. Lamus just kind of gives Ash this sort of beat down where he's like, you followed me around. You came up with this stupid story. um, Your membership card is made out for a different name. And that same name is the one that your flat is registered in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so then ash's boss steps in and is like okay ash you can go home <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. kind of like,
0: good job buddy see ya <laughs> and it's like they're, they're
1: kind of like it, it it proves i it's kind of like lamest proving like okay you know i'm a i'm a real spy like let's dispense with the sort of like yeah. with your intern basically and like <laughs> let's talk you know mano a mano about doing some defection
0: yeah let's like let the adults need to talk now i mean there's ash, there's you're, you're the it's baby. each Throughout
3: the book you see like Lamas is you know you get hints about how good of a spy he is at the beginning and yeah. then each as each like kind of chapter a few chapters he like he like levels up basically to like a new yeah, level yeah. of like like he starts with Ash and then Kiever and then yeah yeah you know we Peters, get to Peters yeah. in the next chapter and then yeah. finally you know you get to like the, he- the like top bosses Fiedler and Munt yeah. um eventually
0: yeah there's this great um and this is a so my favorite book of all time is is blood meridian by cormac mccarthy and um there's a sentence in this chapter that when i read it i was just like transported to blood meridian instantly and uh so he's uh lamas is um uh thinking about like traitors and they're talking about him defecting and in more like actual terms now they're kind of saying like okay you know the score. This is what we want you to do. Are you interested? And the quote is that his service pursued traders as the eye of God followed Cain across the desert, and that is just such a Cormac McCarthy line. I can't yeah, get it's over it. Unexpectedly
1: so Westernly. Like, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. It feels like a Western. Yeah, yeah
1: great. I love the. I love the um, the line right after that where he's talking about how sloppy their methods are. Where he's like, <laughs> you know, I know they think I'm just this, you know, this sort of dissolute like alcoholic but can't they you know inject a little grace into the proceedings and (laughs) he says you know um inconsistency and human decision can make nonsense of the best planned espionage approach that cheats, liars, and criminals may resist every blandishment while respectable gentlemen have been moved to appalling treasons by watery cabbage in a departmental ca- canteen.
3: I mean, that's like the Kim Philby reference. Like, all yeah. these, you know, Kim Philby was yeah. this kind of upper-class Cambridge guy. Yeah, like,
1: you never know what exactly will yeah. drive someone to defect. And um, mm-hmm. I mentioned this in, in my um, obituary for John Le Carre, but um, something that Le Carre was really good at sort of skewering was this sort of hierarchy of... How people understand informers and defectors, which is called mice, and then you know it's um, money, ideology, uh, uh compromise, and um, ego. And so you know, reading this and reading lucari you'd be like, well, all of these are wrapped up all together. You can't really fit anyone into one right. category. And
2: That's so, so
1: lucari did a really good job of skewing this, or you know, it could just be money, or it could just be someone who's eating shitty food and they're just fucking fed up
0: yeah it's kind of like you know what i think of too with that is um in the matrix when they get cypher to turn and he's yeah. just like dude all i want is to be a little famous not super famous i want enough money that i'm comfortable and i want to be able to eat like a good steak dinner like, whenever i don't
3: I want care to. if it's not real like I yeah just yeah want-
0: yeah i just need to get out of this shitty life um so, yeah, and then and then Sam uh, Kiever kind of takes Lamas back to his house. <laughs> and it's it's this, like, beautiful house in Chelsea. And he has another uh, – Lamas has a great quote where he's like, quite a little love nest, all paid for by the great worker state. So good. It pisses off Sam so much, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, he just yeah.
2: – Yeah.
3: Lamas is one of those people who just, like, knows where you can needle people and yeah, just yeah. bores in immediately. Yeah perfect line always yeah uh.
1: so then Kiever gives him a fake passport and is like all right we're going to the hague tomorrow to the to the netherlands because you know that's a huge yeah i know in the modern colloquial sense they're all like oh god they're going to jail for their crimes but um (laughs) you know it's a major diplomatic um area and so uh, i love this line where uh, lamus holds his passport uh with with his name and um and he says it was like getting married. Whatever happened, things would never be the same again. And I always thought that was really <laughs> interesting. You see this in *The Looking Glass War*, particularly where John mm-hmm. Le Caron constantly draws parallels between love and marriage, and spies and um, where their loyalties lie. And I've always thought that was just an incredibly interesting parallel to make.
0: Yeah, and it's a, it's very true. It's like it's 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 a complicated relationship. There's love. There's, you know, trust issues, all these things all bound up. It it's really perfect.
1: Yeah. So then um in Le Mirage, the next chapter, um, Lamus, he doesn't really have any any luggage. He basically only has the clothes he's wearing and um his new passport from Kiever. And um so he and he and Kiever are at the airport, and um something I think is interesting is um Lamus is looking at this sort of kiosk and he sees a a small frog-like figure in glasses, <laughs> an earnest, worried little man. He looked like a civil servant, something like that. And yeah. What I think is interesting is, um, it's never quite clear how much he knows Smiley.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or,
1: um, like whether he's lying later when he says that he worked with Smiley, um, to sort of impress the the East German intelligence, or whether yeah. they actually did work together. But there are numerous times in this book where the it's the description is deliberately constructed to make you think that smiley is surveilling him <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. and i think there's a scene i can't remember if it's it's later or, or, we, or we pass it but it seems like smiley was actually potentially at the grocery store or near the grocery yes. store when lamas uh punched the grocer Yes, yeah, like smiley a scene where like
1: dr manhattan and he's like yeah. everywhere in this
0: <laughs> he's just sitting naked on mars uh watching yeah. all this stuff happen so yeah we're 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 now in um we're now in Netherlands, and he levels up on uh, handlers yeah, again. He
1: levels up on handlers, and he meets Peter, yeah. who now has a, um, who Lamas guessed he was Russian, but he wasn't sure. And so mm-hmm. um, this is when they start talking money because Peter's is like, okay, we're going to pay you 15,000 pounds to be drawn from a Swiss bank.
0: Which in those days, yeah, it was a lot know, that's like a million money. bucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a lot of money. So
1: Peter starts doing this sort of preliminary interview where he's he's asking about Lamus's history. And this is actually really interesting because the reader is learning so much of this about Lamus yeah. for the first time. But it's also just completely skewed because he's still playing this role as this disgruntled defector. So you have to wonder mm-hmm. how much of this is, you know, Lamus looking back and seeing himself as a failure and how much is him playing it up. But, um, and there's me- constant
0: notes, too, about where he'll have, like, these thoughts where Control, where he kind of talks about how Control told him how to play it, where he's always, like, you know, be a little cagey, be angry, make them work yeah. for it, like, and and so you kind of see these things happening as he's giving up some information.
1: Yeah, so he ends up, you know, he talks about how he worked in Holland during the war and how it was crazy because all his agents kept getting rolled up and killed. Um, he then worked in Norway. He came over again to Holland. Uh, then he quit for a while. This is what ended up making his pension difficult to collect. So then he goes back to the circus and he works with Peter Gillum and, um, George Smiley. And, um, he, you know, he's only there for, uh, from February 50 to May 51. And then Smiley leaves in early 51. So they didn't, they only worked together for a few months. So, um, it really is kind of unclear to the reader, I think, how many of these yeah. Smiley sightings are actually recognized and understood yeah. by Lemis yeah. George yeah. Smiley. I think there's there are a couple instances where he definitively recognizes Smiley there, um, yeah. particularly near the end of the book. Um, and then there are there are instances where he's like, "Damn, there's this this plump guy in glasses following me around." <laughs> so it's it's, it's really like Where's Waldo. Yeah, it's really unclear how much he um he tends to recognize Smiley but yeah. he talks about um how uh he's he's playing this role um there's this great passage where um he talks about how Peters is interpreting Lamus as a defector Lamus ends up kind of admiring him because at one point Peters takes out cigarettes and he lights it so yeah. that the, of the cigarette it burns first that way yeah. if someone's following him yeah. they can be like oh he smokes you know he smokes, yeah, Marlboros and he's really impressed by that and that's that's yeah. another sign of what a good spy lamus is he's able to pick up on this kind of thing and then he's he's like okay i respect that yeah
2: yeah,
0: yeah. And there's a passage that i like where he says there was something very orthodox about him which lamas liked it was the orthodoxy yeah, I of like strength these, of
1: these confidence. Old school spies, um,
0: yeah and i think he he admires people who kind of stand for something even if he doesn't agree with it i think he much more admires like uh an ideologue who who believes Mm -hmm. in what they're doing than like some of these uh people that he was beginning to dislike at the circus these kind of young guys who were you know maybe in it uh to quote the bachelor uh in it for the wrong reasons you know (laughs) yeah
3: i mean i think he he kind of can I, i you know we go back to kind of the beginning where it's unclear who is in the wrong on any of this and both sides yeah. are in the wrong. Is that yeah. when you, it's never directly stated, but you, you go back to, you know, uh, Lamas's career. He started fighting the Nazis and the Soviets are their allies. And then he comes back and all of a sudden he's he's spying on what his erstwhile allies were uh, for the first part of his career. Um, right. and, and, you know, I think he... You, you take that in, it's like he's not, it's just in the moment is what he's supposed to do. But I don't think he like feels, he, which is why he kind of, I think, respects these ideologues of, uh, yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah. And so.
0: he doesn't really, I don't think, have an ideology. Yeah, there's a great section too where he's he's kind of recounting his time in Berlin and how much of a clusterfuck it was. <laughs> where there's like all these because Berlin was like where it was at with the Cold War, mm-hmm. and there was like an every agency from every country and like multiple agencies from the same country all trying to work, and how like uh, you know as as a really an expert operator, he was just pissed off all the time. Where like this agent would screw up because he wasn't being handled well and that would like give away his network or whatever. Um, which is which is really funny to like it's kind of like another funny workplace comedy thing, but it happens to be like, you know, incredibly important world historic uh uh events.
1: So then we we start getting into the um the real sort of thickets of the plot here where um this is this is where Carl's uh this is how they misdiscover Carl and it's because this other agent car was broken into and they left these these film cartridges and they had all the minutes of a meeting of the presidium because you know socialists be taking notes um, (laughs) so he's like the thing about socialists
0: socialism too many meetings
1: yeah and yeah it makes you think of the quote from the wire where they're like is he taking notes on a criminal conspiracy It's like, are you taking notes on the East German Communist Party? Yes, they are, and so they leave the minutes of that in the car. And so then, lamus goes on this sort of crazy research binge where he, over the next few weeks, he discuss he tries to figure out who from the pres- who's in the presidium, who works at the presidium, and then who is able to um, you know, access this car, and leave the be able to photograph these minutes, and then he um he realizes that they're draft minutes and so uh he figures out that it's this guy carl ramick and he leaves a little note that's um you know carefully coded and it's basically like hey if you're carl ramick come contact come back yeah yeah and and so this is where peter starts pulling out his story and is like uh i don't i just this is wild that this one guy would have all this intelligence on his own that doesn't seem right and lamus is like this is where you get the sense that this whole thing is bigger than lemus because he's yeah. like, what do you mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a, it's one of those things too, where on repeat readings, it hits much harder. Yeah. Cause at first yeah. you're just kind of like, Oh, maybe the Peters is just, isn't getting it or he's not really sure. But when you, when you start realizing what's happening, um, this is all, you know, it's clear that this is very purposeful that, um, Peters is meant to come to this conclusion. Uh, yeah, that Lamas is kind of purposely steering him in in this direction,
2: yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. which is
0: like, he, Lamas is like, No, like, this is what happened, you've got yeah, it wrong,
1: and they're having so to be like, hmm. he's, he's doing his best to make Peter's question it, and yeah. um, we'll, we'll see why later. Um, but then also, uh, Lamas himself is like, Wait, I'm making up this impression that he never. <laughs> Why is Peter so sure that he couldn't work alone? Yeah. I know he worked alone, and so he starts. He starts feeling kind of gaslit, and he's like, "Whoa, yeah. oh, what the hell is going on?"
2: Yeah. And then
1: Peter's Peter's drops his bomb on him. Elvira, Carl's mistress, has been murdered, yeah. and uh, so he's like, "Why? Why did someone kill her? Did she know about who Remick was? Carl Remick was possibly working with. Was he working with someone? I don't know what's going on." And um and so he start he's starting to question you know like what what the hell's happening I'm telling these yeah. lies and then they're introducing some uncomfortable truths to me that I now need to think about yeah um, and so he's like control mentions something about a special source that they have to protect uh so he's like who is the special source what's happening
0: yeah it's really good like th- this is where you you really get like the Lacare plotting um which you know. I think when you first read these t- his his novels it can be really um difficult to kind of you're kind of reading it being like did I miss something why am I not totally getting it but the point is that no one is really getting it yet so you're kind of yeah. in the same position as Lamas where it's like I thought I got this but I'm not sure I totally understand but it's written on purpose to be confusing in that way I love it
2: Yeah
1: so then we get to chapter 9 and they're the continuing the second day. So it's the second day of his sort of interrogation slash debrief by, by the intelligence agency. And um, so they're talking about, okay, what do you do when you get back to London? He's like, well, they, they put me on the shelf. I knew I was finished. I had to be working banking with what he says. a lot of women. I can't remember much about that part. <laughs> I began hitting the bottle a bit. And um, and he says they fired him for drinking. And um, so then he just kind of accidentally drops draw some sort of clues for uh, for Peters where he's like, Yeah, we had to write all these weird checks to all these all these banks and um we we would deposit these large sums of money uh to
0: Ten, tens of thousands uh, in capital cities. Yeah
1: tens of thousands um in Helsinki and Copenhagen with big
0: passports.
1: Yeah mm-hmm. and it's just in it's called Operation Rolling Stone and he's like, Yeah it was this really stupid work that we had to do and Peters is you know <laughs> Like, oh, Excuse man, because he's like
3: he's like on the edge of his seat, like just <laughs> pushing and pushing and pushing because it's yeah. it's
1: more evidence of, you know, a special interest of someone, someone working that even Lamus is not aware with, because as far as they're concerned, he was formerly good spy. And now he's just he has no idea what's happening. Right. And so he drops Control's name and um, Peters is familiar with Control and is like, do you mean to say Control himself was running this case? <laughs> and so uh he makes them think that there's something very important happening, and um you know there's these uh, large sums of money that are being deposited, and he's not super interested in it, but uh Peters is uh Peters then insists again um which starts to um really piss Lamus off as Peter starts yep. insisting again that there uh there had to be some sort of extra source or something going on and lamus is like no i'm the one making this up here i know it's fake like
0: yeah and like i and he, he's at. like i ran berlin for yeah
1: he's like i certain- ran berlin i would have known about i it. would
0: have known if they were running a, another agent in the same city that i was operating in. I and i would have is, known and the thing is he he he, and he thinks he would have known he yeah, honestly I mean, thinks isn't, that this isn't all fake like He's yeah. like, I know
3: he's supposed to play it up, but like he's yeah, like No, there's off. it's my fucking city. I, I yeah. would have known. Yeah, he's
1: like, I ran Berlin, I know what's happening, like stop yeah. implying that there's stuff <laughs> going on that I'm not aware of. And he thinks back to control telling him like they'll wanna deduce in spite of you, they're gonna run ahead and try and make up some stuff. And so he's like, Okay, yeah, I can I can try and calm down about this. You know, control said it would that they would do this. Yeah. And, you know, to to the reader, you're now like, Oh, okay. Can we trust what Control is saying? Yeah. Who is the special interest that they want to protect? We yeah. thought as readers that Mont is to, like, we're here to kill Mont and imply yeah. that something fishy is going on that they, you know, we're here to set Mont up and get him killed. Yeah. Not this.
0: Yeah. What does Rolling Stone have to do with any of this? Yeah.
1: A lot of stuff was going on without Lamus's knowledge.
3: Yeah. And then the next, I mean, we get the next chapter where it, you know, Shit, really starts popping day. off for for Lamas when he he yes. gets. This is where you know he was kind of up to this point. Everything that happened, he was kind of expecting, or you know, knew had been planned. You know, we didn't hear it directly when he talked to Control, but it was obvious as news. And then Peters comes in and tells him he's been burned. Like that, they they put pa- they put him in the paper. They're saying he's a you know wanted. Yeah for an offense under the official secrets act like he he, they basically out him as a spy and traitor um and you know
1: and he's like i didn't i didn't sign up for that part yeah that's
3: not part of the deal (laughs) like this this means he can't go back like right yeah
1: because they were like you can keep the money that you make you can come back after a few weeks and then you know you can retire and instead he's like i can't go back to england because i'm a you know, I'm, I'm Kim Philby now.
0: Yeah. And it's not as though he, it's just like an article written about, it's like his name, his, like his picture, like people would know who he is if he went back. He can't just like sneak in under a fake name and like, you know, live a secluded life Like he'd like to. He is now like a major public figure in in britain and especially during the cold war when people would take that so seriously right like you would not be allowed to like live a normal life anymore and and there's the the part that really i loved about this chapter is when he kind of talks about his relationship with liz and how she had given him back this respect for triviality that he wasn't allowed to have as a spy um which really i think hit home like it's this i i think um those of us who are like very, you know, politically inclined and and like to think about politics and creating a better future, um, you can get so kind of deep into the nuts and bolts of how it's done and um, you know how to seize power and make change and all these types of things that uh, you can kind of forget why it is you're doing these things in the first place. And Lamas had, was obviously at this point in his career where he's he's basically just doing a job, could be any job. He just happens to be a spy. But um, his kind of love for Liz had given him back that understanding of like why we kind of, in theory, do these types of things, which is to like protect the people that we love and and ensure that normal people can live normal lives without having to Worry about all these kind of uh, kind of um, larger, uh, scarier things that are happening in the world. Yeah, Definitely. and as
1: he's as he's coming to that realization, he also just like, it keeps hitting home for him that he can't go back to that trivial life <laughs> because, for example, right. with um, he left with no luggage and no papers yep. except what they gave him, and they tell him <laughs> he he notices earlier in the book that the passport they give him expires in ten days. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. He's like, oh, it'll be fine because he's assuming that when he goes back to England that, you know, control will be waiting there to like, you know, oh, you're a hero. Thank you for what you did. We took down Munt. Like, it's all going to be fine. Um, but he realizes he's been burned. Um, the circus yeah. is not going to help him sort of uh, repatriate back to England and his he has no passport or proof of mm-hmm. identity now, and so he's completely at the mercy of whoever can give him an identity, basically. Yeah,
3: yeah. he starts he starts this bargaining process, like you know, he's like, yeah. "Oh, give me a Swiss passport, give me a Scandinavian passport, just money, I'll <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll disappear myself." And they're yeah. like, "No, we like this is actually good for us because we want to like." Yeah, he realizes they're like, "We're going to take you over the Iron Curtain." Like he does yeah. not, yeah. Like the thing he ever wanted to happen was being stuck (laughs) on German or Soviet territory
1: yeah he did not want to be in um, like he freaks out when Peters has a Russian accent because he's like you brought the you brought Russia (laughs) into this you brought Moscow into this yeah um, he thought he's he like i didn't team. want
0: to actually be a double agent i wanted to be a fake double agent i wanted to actually go back home yeah now he i'm wants, like a real he double agent.
1: sitting in the Hague and talking about this and then to go back in a few weeks and they're like no you're yeah. you're coming you're coming further east <laughs> and you can't go back and uh, so he confirms this by buying he confirms this by buying a newspaper and he sees his he says it has his photograph with a vague little passage underneath he wondered if liz had seen it um yeah. She almost certainly has at this point. Um, like that would have been something that was absolutely sensational news. The next chapter then starts with the men called on Liz the same evening. And um, <laughs> so Liz, poor Liz. This chapter Liz is just... called
0: Friends of Alec. And Alec is Lamas's first name. I don't think we've ever said it.
3: This is also like, this is control. Like this is just control breaking literally every promise he had given yeah. to Lamas of like yeah. Oh, you'll be back in a few weeks. You get to keep the money. He burns him, and then he's like, "Oh, but you won't deal with Liz." And he gets very defensive and not, and it's <laughs> very obviously leading to this, where yes, we are gonna very directly go speak to Liz. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And 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 the previous chapter ends with, for the first time since it all began, Lamus was frightened. Mm-hmm. So you know, you get this horrible moment, sinking moment, where you know he's been playing it cool. He's playing a role. He can tell himself that he's he's coming back and he'll be fine. But now he, all of these sort of sources of safety have been cut out from underneath him. And he's like, Oh shit.
0: And this is where I think kind of his subconscious is like catching up with his conscious. Yeah. He kind of always knew this was kind of going to happen. And, but he couldn't let himself think that. And then now it's like those two paths kind of connecting. And he's like, Oh, I am actually fucked now. Yeah. So friends of Alex. So, um. yeah, li- Liz, uh, th- th- we find out that there's two people who are who are talking to Liz and it ends up being uh, Smiley. And did we have do we ever know who the other guy is?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think it's I don't think so. with, um, They just it's just a sort of younger guy. And she says the plump one did most of the talking. And so, since <laughs> yeah. it, you know, the, the description before you find out that it's Smiley at the end of the chapter, it says one was short and rather plump. He had glasses and more odd, expensive clothes. Like yeah. you know that's smiley because his his wife likes to draw some up in, in expensive clothes <laughs> and yeah. um and uh so they start talking to him, and poor Liz is just completely distraught she's you know she's been hooking up with this older guy who she thought was just like this sort of down on his luck sort of drifter, yeah. and
2: yeah
1: it, now he's on the front page of the newspaper for first he Being was punching yeah. the grocer <laughs> and now he's a he's a defector <laughs> well they actually there's a part where um they talk about it at one of her, her communist party branches and they're, um, they're really Im- impressed because uh, they think that it, Lamas is, uh, you know, it's a moment of worker protest against yeah, the, like, yeah. and the bourgeois machine, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. Um,
0: yeah. Mr. Ford was, uh, which is the grocer uh, was described by someone as the archetypical petite bourgeois, which is such a, such a great line to throw in there.
1: Yeah. So it, she says to 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 one of her comrades, "It's it proved to Hanby once again how incendiary was the fabric of the capitalist system." <laughs> and they're talking about this like complete stranger socking a cashier, and, <laughs> 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 and um, you know, it's it's just very funny. It's it's one of those sort of flashes of humor that Lucari gets. Yeah. And you can tell um that this is this is Lucaree who, being very familiar with. um uh left left wing groups. Um mm-hmm.
2: yeah maybe, maybe a bit too sure. familiar
1: uh early in his career. Yeah. He actually <laughs> surveilled yep. and informed on them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um that was he, he was the DSA op.
0: A, John Lecrae was the DSA op.
1: That was one of his duties as an intelligence officer. And so he clearly sort of took away some of the more um maybe yeah. lighthearted instances. That and, stuff
0: definitely hits uh, hits for those of us on the left who are used to like going to you know organizing meetings and stuff like all the all those conversations felt very very real to me You have like very liz funny. rolling her eyes at, at the guy going on and <laughs> yeah the yeah. guy
1: being like yeah this is a moment of worker revolt yeah. like, <laughs> The
0: revolutions oh around God. the corner meanwhile it's all this like big secret service operation
1: <laughs> um so yeah so smiley and the Sky are talking to liz and they they're basically just kind of they're needling her they they're asking her they're pretending to be friends of uh uh friends of his and they're asking who knows about you um what did you do your the night before he punched the the grocer and you know fell out of contact and they're like did he tell you he has two kids and they're you know they're just trying to sort of provoke (laughs) her for emotional responses did he say he would come back did he ever say goodbye to you
3: yeah i was gonna say is this supposed to be guillem i mean
0: i don't think we ever find out i I just i'm not sure yeah that's what i thought at first but then it's they, I, it's mentioned smiley. specific
1: enough to tell yeah because yeah. the focus is on smiley because he gives her it his could card, be
0: i like and, uh, to imagine it is because they're buddies and they just like to yeah hang out.
1: she starts crying and, and smiley is like he's gone abroad and um
2: <laughs> is,
1: i guess one way of putting it and um <laughs> and you know he gives her a card and she thinks that they're cops and uh but he she gets this fancy engraved business card that says Mr. George Smiley, nine By- Bywater Street, Chelsea. And she's like, This guy isn't a cop. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, like
3: no cop is gonna live in Chelsea ever. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: So yeah, that's that's a signal to um pe- people who are more familiar with, with London, I suppose. Right. You know, it's like, well, you know, what would a cop be doing in this? Yeah, who she <laughs> says, Whoever heard of a policeman living in Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. So yeah, that, that chapter is kind of great. And it's all, it's also written from Liz's perspective too, which is always like, uh, LaCurie has a great, a very good ability at like picking kind of the side characters to have point of view chapters, which always uh, works out really well. Cause you kind of get to from the, you kind of see the impact of all these things on like a, a normal person and uh, how fucked up it is.
3: Yeah. And I think this is one of, it happens a lot in this book of, characters realizing more than they want to admit to themselves like Lamas picks up on all these stuff from Control that he doesn't want that's like fishy that he doesn't want to admit and like Liz is realizing here that she had picked up on all this weird stuff from Lamas was doing that she didn't want to admit and this kind of also parallels the first chapter where uh lamas is like why did carl yes. tell tell her all this shit like it, it yeah. shouldn't happen and then you realize like oh he did kind of the exact same <laughs> thing with
0: liz yeah yeah which kind of just goes to this whole thing about like you know you we think in the popular imagination of spies as these kind of like perfect uh, robotic beings that like always act in the best interests of the mission and all these things and you just realize that like that that's really not true Um, even down to like, as we'll see in different books, like George Smiley, who's kind of set up as like the ultimate, um, spy in this world. He has personal failings, uh, that cause him to like make mistakes in, in his job as well. Um, so then we get to chapter 12, which is the last one we're going to go over today, uh, which is called East. And, uh, it starts off with, um, he, he's basically like being taken, um, now, uh, to Berlin and, uh, he he's learning out a few things which um which Emma can can get into in a second here but the, there's a part where he tells a story uh where he's he's rushing this is back when he was operating carl in, in berlin and he's rushing to meet Carl. Uh, you know they have to set up these meetings at times that make sense because Carl needs to like kind of live his normal life and not be suspicious. And he like get, rents this car from an airport and he's rushing to meet him. And he's rushing through traffic and he basically almost causes this car accident where he looks behind him and there is like this dad, frightened dad, with like his kids in the back of the car. And he very nearly like basically killed this guy and his kids. And uh, it's, like, this really clarifying moment for him, which is, like, what the hell are we doing? Like, we're trying to, like, protect people in theory or, like, um, you know, guard the West in some way. But I almost, like, killed this family just because I'm pressed for time. Um, And I I think that was a really powerful moment, too, where Lamas is really um, a great character in in Lacare's genre because he's able to kind of have a lot of these ideas put onto him about how silly a lot of the work is how kind of oddly humorous a lot of the work is and and also how many normal people's lives are destroyed by the work that they do uh so I I really loved that moment that that
3: moment also hit me way harder on this Mm -hmm. reread because it's the first time I'm reading it with a child and like yeah just the like depiction of the terrified father of being oh, like God. like and the kids just like having no idea what happened but there's the father <laughs> sitting in the car being like like oh holy God, shit we I, like we all yeah. just almost died and it was yeah. just never kind of hit me like this before
1: yeah, yeah so so lamus is you know he's having this sort of existential crisis because they're doing the one thing that he really didn't want to do so they're, <laughs> they're going back to berlin and um and they're going specifically to, to
0: East Berlin, to yes. East
1: Berlin. And so the situation is just completely out of his control. He's noticing that Peters gets gradually more relaxed as they go further into Berlin, which is a nice contrast to Lamus getting gradually <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. And so they end up, you know, they're crossing the border and they're like, OK, you're going to meet Fiedler. um he does who's months uh second second hand second in command right hand man yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) right hand man second hand hand man second in command right
1: hand second hand whatever and um (laughs) so he's a he does all the big interrogations and um
0: and he's kind of notorious like fielder um we we (laughs) haven't really heard of him to this point but when lamas kind of talks about him he's like notoriously like this extreme ideologue kind of set up as like this ultimate evil He's the exact opposite of Munt. He's he, I mean
3: literally yeah. to every Munt's a Nazi and not an ideologue, and Fiedler's yeah. Jewish and like the ultimate diehard Marxist. And they're yeah. they're kind of in this turf battle with each other. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and Munt is in it for like being um, you know, being a powerful man yes. and uh sort right. of just uh being in control and then Fiedler is in for it um, because uh, you know, they describe him as solitary, feared, disliked, and mistrusted. Um, He just kind of operates on his own as this sort of ideologue, a man seemingly without ambition for himself, but remorseless in the destruction of others. And so they're, they are talking about giving Fiedler the weapon with which to destroy Mont. And so, you know, they're trying to, like Fiedler is going to be a big part of this plan that they have still has not been revealed to the reader <laughs>
0: exactly yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so they're they go to the safe house and lamus finally gets a a, a glimpse gl- glimpse of fielder and um
0: it's great the characterization of fielder is also really good like he's kind of this like small unassuming guy um but because of all the way he's been built up you kind of get this like um like evil genius kind of vibe from him when he comes yeah. in yeah
1: and so Lamas is just completely freaking out at this point because he doesn't Fiedler talks to Peters in Russian and he's just like, I do not want the Russians involved in this at all. You know, <laughs> yeah. I thought we were playing in the minor leagues here. And yeah. Yeah. now you're you're taking me against, you know, the the big boys. And um and I'm he's afraid of being taken to Moscow. Um, he's terrified of being taken further uh, east. He says, it's typical of your rotten little half-country and your squalid little service that you get a big uncle to do your pimping for you. You're not a country <laughs> at all. You're not a government. You're a fifth-rate dictatorship of political neurotics. Like, he just flips <laughs> out. Fiedler just shrugs and says, "Regarded it as a visit to the dentist, Lamus. So then Lamus accuses Fiedler and um, Peters of blowing his cover in, um, in England, which is interesting. He's still holding on to a little bit of this faith and control.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: what i find really interesting is um these conversations that lamus has with fiedler which will continue into the second episode but um fiedler d- basically gives him this you know we're not so different speech where he says we're not you
0: know, so different you and i yeah yeah
1: he says all our work yours and mine is rooted in the theory that the whole is more important than the individual and so uh that really s- speaks truly to um what they're trying to accomplish at the circus is that is something that they tell themselves is that you know innocence and these sort of individuals that they sacrifice are simply you know expedient in service of the cause and then uh, Fiedler is basically saying you know he says the uh the exploitation of individuals can only be justified by the collective need can't it (laughs) <laughs> and, um, which is know.
0: funny because that like really fits with his ideology right yeah um from where he's coming from and then he has this great um a comment which uh that the term is in french i forget it now but it translates to like english modesty where he's yep. like basically we're the same but your english modesty prevents you 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 and your people from admitting that we're the same like but you I have think... to kind of do this thing we're like oh we're unassuming british we're just trying our yeah. best but
3: i think it's not just that it is also just that the 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 marxist political system lets fiedler admit this because that you know that that's the goal whereas this more individualistic is like you can't kind of say we're doing this for the greater good it's you know we're supposed to be be bet quote unquote better than that right right it goes and then you bring it back to what control said it was like well we can't let you know we can't let our like i i don't remember the exact words like morals get in the way of you know being squeamish because if 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 they're gonna we can't be less ruthless than the the other side um and you know control admitted this off the top and fiedler's like yeah it's i i agree it's that's that's what's happening (laughs) yeah but fiedler embraces it it's it's
0: um and lamas doesn't want to and i I think there's a part in this chapter where lamas does kind of start to come around on fielder where I think he he like ultimately agrees with him, like yes. he he totally agrees with him, but but he's kind of got all this baggage with him that yep. he's like slowly yeah. Unpacking he wants throughout to think that
1: his work is more noble, sort of yep. yeah. Like he yeah. understands that it's this sort of uh, drudgery and service of you know the state, but he wants to think that it's different.
3: Yeah, and then Fiedler exactly. starts. Pushing him again on, yeah, knowing yeah, this, who the source was and yeah, Rolling and this Stone is interesting was, yeah.
1: because they're they're basically playing each other. Where um, Lamus is doing his best to maintain the sort of half knowledge that Control taught him, which is, you know, you're introducing this sort of idea to Fiedler that. Um, there's this sort of you can introduce this uncertainty and you can sort of claim that there's someone in East German intelligence that's leaking information to the Brits. That right,
0: was working with Carl.
1: And that was working with Carl. And then um even though he knows he believes this to be a complete fiction, um right. uh Fiedler just keeps calmly pointing out like, um, couldn't couldn't there be an agent that's being run here that is working with Carl? And Lamas flips out and says, it's just bloody silly to imagine that any operation could have been run against East Germany without my knowledge, without the knowledge of the Berlin organization. I would have known, do you see? How many times do I have to say that? I would have known. And Fiedler just goes and stands by the window and is like, you should see this in the fall. We we see that Lamas is just completely losing it at this point because while he's trying to introduce this, this fiction about... Um, there being this other agent involved, uh, he's starting to actually come to believe that there was somebody else involved that is the special interest that they were talking about. Yeah. So he's he's supposed to be giving um, Fiendler the tools to take down Mont um, in this sort of jockeying for position that they have so that they can get revenge on Mont. But instead, he's starting to wonder how much he's being played by control and how much is really true.
0: And, and this is kind of the perfect uh, cliffhanger to end it, because now we're in this position where Lamas does know what the hell is going on. As far as he's concerned, this operation is blown and uh, he is not kind of coming back. He is not coming in from the cold. He is stuck in the cold. Um, so that is going to be it for our first episode. Thanks everyone for uh, bearing with us through that, through the first, uh, you know, kinks of a very, very new podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. We will be back in a couple of weeks with uh, our second episode, which will wrap up the spy who came in from the cold. So, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you again soon. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.